Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today was a fun conversation. I had a good uh, good connection with our guest, Lauren Polly. Talked about a lot of things. I'm going to give you guys a little rundown about her and what she's up to. So she's on a mission in life to help others thrive beyond labels, reclaim their innate gifts, and blaze a unique trail in the world. She interweaves her communication therapy skills with her yoga, meditation, energy transformation training to provide cutting edge content focused on developing self-awareness, communication, and empowerment. Today, Lauren Polly is a multi-award-winning and internationally best-selling author, transformational speaker, executive life coach. She earned her master's degree from the University of Virginia in communication disorders with a focus in speech and language pathology in 2005 and has worked in America's top hospitals since that time. In her book, The Other Side of Bipolar, Lauren shares her own personal journey of receiving a bipolar diagnosis and how we can change other mental illnesses, labels, and turn them into empowering gifts. We unpacked what these boxes are that we get put into sometimes involving diagnosis, and we talked about how she was misdiagnosed, and we really had an an awesome, authentic conversation that I think you guys will enjoy a lot. Leave us a review. Tell, let us know what you think and share this. Subscribe, all that good stuff. It means a lot and I truly, truly appreciate every single one of you listening. So I hope you guys enjoy. Sit back, relax. Lauren Polly coming right up. And we're rolling. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Lance. <laughs> so as we were talking in um, the pre-conversation, um, sometimes we get going and I'm like, oh, okay, we gotta, we gotta start, start this because we, so much gold gets left out in the unrecorded stuff. So you're in, you're in LA right now. You grew up in Virginia. Um, I would love if you, for people other than the intro I record in the beginning, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Get, maybe if you can take us back a little bit and fill us in on the gaps of how you got to where you are today. Hmm, it's kind of a long meandering story, which I don't think is unusual for all of us. Most of us have been through twists and turns. Um, I kind of had a normal childhood growing up in Virginia. It was really beautiful. And then adolescence hit and I ran through a really, really dark and troubling time. Uh, It was almost kind of like the volume of the world got turned up so loud that I had a really hard time finding myself. Mm. Um, It's kind of like that weird stage in development where you're open and you're exploring and you're just being yourself. And then you hit adolescence and you start having more eyes out than eyes in about how you fit in. Do Mm. you fit in? Do you measure up? Um, And then from there, things got really, really, really intense. I actually had a lot of mood swings. I went through a suicidal period and ended up getting diagnosed as bipolar at age 14. Um, From there, years and years in the Western medical system, heavy, heavy drugs, a lot of disempowering therapy that was more fear-based than anything else. Um, But luckily, the tides turned when I turned 20 and found a holistic psychiatrist who just changed everything for me. He actually started talking about building self-confidence, self-worth, diet, exercise, yoga, meditation, the whole thing. And from there, my life just took off. And through another ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows, I've landed here, multi-award winning author and life coach and helping other people through the same journey that I went through. This is an interesting topic and it's it needs a lot more attention, right? Because um, mental health issues and problems aren't addressed enough, you know, because if somebody breaks their leg, it's addressed, it's looked at, it's healed. But if somebody's going through something in their mind, it's, it's like, it's always been like toughen up or what's wrong. Like it does because you can't see it. 
People don't give it the respect it deserves. It's invisible. And unfortunately, we don't have language to go with it. And during my suicidal issues, I was 14 at the time. It was fascinating because I was in the school guidance counselor's office almost weekly, but never for myself. I had friends who were getting abused at home, were going through stressful circumstances, and because they had like um, physical issues or they had something that could be pinpointed to language, it was really easy to report and seek out help. For me, I just felt lost and confused and like I didn't fit in and my head was really busy and noisy because I was picking up on everybody else's stuff. And to put language to that, we're not really taught what that is or how to express it. So a lot of people don't report it. They don't actually seek out information. They just feel lost and confused a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah. So can we unpack bipolar? Because that has been, you know, and then what was that called before? Manic, manic depression? Manic or? depression was kind of like the old term for yeah. it. Yeah. Can we talk about like what it is that actually means? And, you know, because it's such a, there's so many things that could be happening in people's lives. And even to be diagnosed with something and then put yourself into that box when you aren't that thing can be dangerous also, right? Yes. And that's actually kind of my story. Age 30, my diagnosis was overturned. Okay. So it's kind of fascinating how many boxes we get put into because we match the quote unquote description from the get go, but no one really looks to no one really looks to readdress it later on or give you the bandwidth to be able to change. Um, bipolar in a traditional sense means having um, kind of both ends of the extreme. So you hear a lot about depression. Depression is unipolar, which is always the down. Low energy, dark hole, um, kind of like a feeling of hopelessness, despair. It's sometimes sadness, but for the most part, for me anyway, it just felt like a blank nothingness, a lack of interest in living. And then the bipolar comes when you have the other extreme, which is the mania, the full of energy, the not need to sleep, uh, the grandiose ideas. Uh, it's kind of a bouncing back and forth. Some people will go through long periods with just one, like being having a manic period for months and months and then coming down. Uh, I was diagnosed as having rapid cycling, which means I was up and down and up and down very quickly. Um, come to find out after years of exploring for myself, those quick mood swings were more about my awareness of other people and the environment and how quickly I would take that in and act that out. Mm, that's fascinating because while you're telling me that I'm thinking to myself, well, that's me. Like I honestly throughout my whole life, I've, I, you know, I go up and then I get these low downs and then I go up and it's like, but why does it have to be, why, why does that have to be a person's bipolar? Right. It's like, there, there's so many factors. It could have been, what, what am I eating or what are you eating? You know, who are you around with? Like, what are you actually working on that is like fulfilling you? Right. There's so many factors. There are. And it's, it's interesting, the diagnosis process, because basically if you show up in a shrink's office, there's a label and a diagnosis for anything in the human condition. Mm. Uh, that being said, there are people who really, really struggle and these mood swings are like totally out of control and have such a significant impact. And mine were quite frankly, very, very severe when I was younger. Um, so reaching out for support, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Getting the label even isn't necessarily a bad thing if you don't go too deep into self-identifying as that. And I think that's the bigger issue is we go, okay, cool. Well, that's what I am because that's what I was given as a label. And before you know it, you have your whole life laid out in front of you. This is going to be the issue forever. Yes. This is what you're going to go through. This is what you can accomplish. And getting all that at age 14, I mean, talk about adversity. That was like, all of the dreams that you have probably aren't going to come true. This is what you need to do the, just to take care of yourself and just to get by. And whew, that's hard. That's hard swallowing for a little one, you know? That's tough at that age yeah. because there's enough stuff going on. And, and, and just teenagers are just, their minds are just wacky anyway. Like there's so <laughs> many, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they are like, I, I mean, there's so many hormones and there's all these like, it's, it's just normal, right? Like it's a time where things are changing. You know, you're, you're, you're starting to kind of not listen to your parents as much. You're starting to go, well, what's going on? What is this? Like what, you know, you got these teachers and, and it's, it's a crazy time. And to tell somebody that and to kind of box them in like, well, you got this for life. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And, 
And then you start to do all the things that align with that thing, that identity. And then you start to believe that. So it limits you. And it's, it's crazy. And trying it's, to come out once you've actually been given the label and lived as that for years, it's, it's hard to do. Most people don't yeah. get there. Um, I'd say the biggest goal that most people have if they have a diagnosis, not just bipolar, but like depression, anxiety, whatever, uh, usually the kind of end stage or the big goal is just to reach a stage of maintenance where you can feel okay and you can kind of get by in life. Um, I don't stop there. I didn't stop there with myself and all of my material, my books, my coaching is way about what's actually the gift beneath all of that. What's the truth? What's the heart of the matter with what you're aware of and what you're going through? And how do you actually start using that to create a life that's actually bigger than what you were told you can have? Mm. Um, and for me, that was just kind of the biggest thing that kept propelling me forward. I wasn't trying to fix it. I wasn't trying to change it. I was just going, there's got to be more here. There's got to be more to me. There's got to be more to life. And that kind of exploration while taking care of myself, uh, that's really what led me in a different direction. And people don't go there. They just kind of go into maintenance mode, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I actually, it, it's, you know, this, the talk about suicide is tough because I lost my younger brother to that because mm-hmm. he, was, he got on medication and, and uh, all that kind of crap. And I don't, I don't understand the whole medication thing, how they can just give people stuff and it, you know, it's, it's a whole other conversation. Um, but did you get on, were you on medication and were you, was that, because I know I've tried those kind of antidepressants just kind of from jet lag and to sleep and to calm down. And I've noticed just taking it one time, I was like, wow, that is not something that I want to be on. Yes. I feel like I'm floating and it's amazing, but wow, can you get stuck in that feeling, you know, of like, of reality? Like, it's crazy. Well, the medication conversation is multi-layered and really, 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 really sticky. The fact that people only talk about medication as the only answer. So it's like medicate or don't medicate is like the biggest thing. And people have both sides of the aisle. People who don't believe in medicine, they're like, no, never take it. And then you've got the other side of the aisle who's like, that's what you have to do and stop and nothing else. And when you have that kind of like really charged conversation and it's only focused on that one possibility, you miss out on everything else. You miss out on self-care, self-development, and actually the discovery of the gifts beneath it. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the conversation that I had when I showed up to the doctor's office. It was just medication. Um, And so I started drugs when I was 14 with that. Um, By the time I was 16, 17, I was swallowing about 14 pills a day. Wow. Um, cystic acne from head to toe was a side effect. I was a professional ballerina and I had tremors from one of the medicines. I had to give up my dancing career because of it. Um, all sorts of body issues. I lost my sight for a little while while I was driving a car and got in a car accident. Um, all side effects of the drugs. Um, that being said, I think I was, I think I know I was kind of mismanaged. You know, basically I would be put on oh, yeah. one drug. There was a side effect. So they would just give me another one to counteract it. Um, so it's a slippery slope and I feel like a lot of that is of, okay, well, here's a drug, you're still having issues. So let's just give you another one, not really looking at breaking down the whole picture. And that's what the doctor, what I found when I was 20, he was the lifesaver. He was a psychiatrist. He kept me on the medicine, but guess what? He developed the rest of me as well. And once I started being more confident, I didn't need the social anxiety medicine anymore. He took that one away. Once I got in touch with my body, yoga, meditation, exercise, and actually got present in my form here, I didn't need the depression drug. He was able to take that away. Mm. There was all of these things that just through our work together, developing the whole of me with all these alternative practices, I didn't actually need all the drugs. That was the beginning of the weaning process. And so many people that I meet these days, they're not given that opportunity. You know, they're really, this is what's going to be forever. And yeah. That's it, you know? What gets me is the lack of accountability with these drugs. It's like they can just give you this and say, oh, well, it may cause this, 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 this. It's like there's no accountability. It's like, well, if this happens, we told you, you know, or it's like, and then they give you something else. It's just, it's bizarre for me. Like, I just cannot believe it. But so you, all right. So you, you, you found somebody that understood that the body works holistically, like one thing, they all sort of work together, right? So that's awesome because it's rare to find somebody that understands that. 
that's not just trying to put a bandaid on that specific thing. And there's, so what are some of the things like, obviously you do yoga and meditation. Was, was that a, a massive factor or what about diet? Like what are some of the little changes that you started to make that kind of allowed you to sort of slowly get off these things? Well, it was a combination he did. We talked about diet. He put me on some supplements. I kind of did yeah. one of those um, blood tests that show what you're lacking in your system. Mm. So that was helpful. Uh, I also have always had kind of like a nervous belly where when I get nervous or I'm anxious about something, I just stop eating. My system kind of shuts down. Uh, and that really led to kind of the feeling of not being in my body or not being present. Uh, so being able to kind of put myself on a little bit more of a, oh, remind yourself, try to eat, <laughs> was actually something very, very simple, but actually very effective. Same thing if you overeat, being able to just be mindful and listen to your body, actually intuitively go, hey body, are you hungry? Do you need food? And letting kind of it guide you. Mm. Uh, that really, really, that led for me anyway, to more presence with my body. Uh, the yoga, the meditation, again, allowed me to become more present and start to tap into myself. And then later on, my own journey, yoga, meditation continued, and then I found energy tools from Access Consciousness. And that was a real big game changer. That one's all about judgment and not just judging other people, but judging yourself. And at the time I had found that, I had had my diagnosis overturned, I was off medicine, all, all that kind of stuff was going well, but I was still judging myself. I still had the remnants of stigma because I had grown up with so much of it. Yeah. Uh, so that in of itself, those tools really worked to kind of go, you know, nothing was ever really wrong with you. You were just really aware of other people. And because you're so aware of other people, you really felt like you lost yourself, but you never really did this is actually a strength you can utilize. And for me, that like empath conversation, being aware of other people, being the healer that takes things on for others, that's what's really lit me up and, oh wow, nothing's really wrong. These are just strengths that have been misidentified and misutilized. Yeah, and then you're telling yourself that for so many years that there was something, that it was your fault. Yeah. And, and you're, and you have to, so how did you, because what happens with that happens is you carry a certain amount of guilt or shame and people, and then you develop this, like this energy that just doesn't sit well with you. Right. Well, I think of it, um, I think of it like a kinky threesome that you have in every relationship you get into <laughs> where it is like you and the other person and like the big pink elephant in the room. And yeah. no matter what you do, there's this other third party and yeah. that third party can be a diagnosis. It can also be like any trauma that you've been through, any limitation. You don't have to have a diagnosis to actually have that thing, um, but it colors your interaction. It yeah. colors what foot you put in front of the other, you know? So how did you, how do you change that narrative? Like, how do you change the, so, I mean, obviously you're working with, I've never heard of actually like a holistic psychiatrist before. Yeah. Cause I always hear psychot, <laughs> I always hear like, you know, psychiatrist is like, I think they're like, you know, pills, but mm -hmm. I haven't, obviously there is, I just haven't really put holistic in that together, but that's fascinating because it makes total sense. Well, and this was back in 19, well, it was about 2000 when I ran into him, year 2000, before holistic was like a buzz term, right? Yeah. So it was, really wasn't out. I was looking through the phone book back in the day, there wasn't really Google. Um, so I was going through looking for a new doctor when I had moved to a new town. So I was going through page after page in the yellow pages of psychiatrists and his ad popped out. It said holistic psychiatry. I had no idea what it was. All I knew was like, that's the guy I have to call. And following that, again, that awareness, that intuition, that gut sense, that's what led my life in a whole new direction. I would not be here had I not listened to that and just allowed myself to explore it, you know? I'm, I'm curious as to like, what are some of the tools? Because if that was 2000 and, you know, like now, yeah, there's a lot of buzzwords. There's a, there's a lot, big shift in personal development mindset. But what are some of the stuff that the similarities that he got you to work on then that you're seeing pop up now? Oh, or was it? Yeah, I, I'm yeah, really I, like, interested in that. Well, for me, like there's way more conversations right now about mind-body connection or right. at least being present and being mindful. So I think that's been a huge shift that was not there when I was diagnosed a long time ago. Um, yeah. And because I run in different circles now, because I'm really tapped into kind of alternate alternate practitioners, there's a little bit more openness. I think mainstream, you're seeing a lot more of mental health isn't wrong. 
to talk about and they're really trying to help with the stigma like speak up and everybody has mental health issues diagnosed or not yeah uh, so there's a little bit more of a lead in with that but some of the tools he gave me um I remember we had like an energy trading night where we would basically get together as a group and we, it was like a chakra alignment kind of thing, which was super wacky and weird to me back in the day. Back then <laughs> it like, would have been, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what we're doing, but I'm trusting it and going with it. But what was fascinating is as I was working on somebody else, I could see her body relax and then she started to smile. And I just had this epiphany. I was like, if I can create that for somebody else, what says I can't create that for me? And for me, that was like the most empowering experience of being able to gift something to somebody else and actually look at how, wait a second, if I can actually create that for them, what could I actually create for myself as well? And I think so many of us don't have that. We get stuck in our rabbit hole of I'm limited, I'm have trouble, all this stuff. We come so here inward that we don't really look bigger. And when you actually look at how you can change things for other people, smile on the street, light them up a little bit, make them laugh and relax, you actually go, oh, wait a second, I just changed the energy of the, for them. I could probably do that for myself too, if I was willing. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things, just having the experience of it uh, really changed a lot too. What's your... Uh what's your meditation technique? Because this has been, I, I, I'm sure everybody's tired of me talking about this because I end up bringing it up every single episode, but it's been such a game changer for me in my life that I just, it's a non-negotiable, right? Yeah. What's I've your... A, I've done a whole bunch of different ones. So when I started, I started out being a yoga teacher. And so that was kind of more um, breath awareness, I guess yeah. you could say. I've worked with mindfulness meditation before. I went really, really deep with Tantra meditation. Uh, that was a little bit more of a stringent practice, I would say. I was given a personal mantra, but the whole effort or the whole idea behind it was non-effort. So for me, that was huge because one of the things I talk about a lot is the insanity of perfection. And that was like a side effect of my diagnosis. I thought if I could just be perfect on the outside and push myself that way in my later years, that that would counteract the stigma or the inside judgment that I had. Nobody would ever know something was wrong. Mm, um, and for yeah. me, the practices that actually are like non-effortful really were helpful in kind of undoing that. So the tantric meditation was all about that. It was about what is tantric? Softening. What is tantric? Um, so tantric is not a traditional yoga practice. So a lot of yoga practices are renunciatory, which basically is like, if you think back to India back in the day, the yogis would go live in a cave and they would isolate themselves from society. Tantra is the opposite. It's what they called householder yoga. So it's all about going into meditation to find that deep, deep, deep stillness to steep it, steep it in you. So that way, when you open your eyes, come out of your seat, you're actually more present, but it bleeds out into everyday life. It's about experiencing life more fully by having this inward dipping into mm -hmm. yourself throughout the day, which is a different practice than the traditional yoga renunciatory practice about retreating and pulling away. Uh, so for me, that was huge because it gave me the sense of space I needed for me, but it also let me continue to engage and create with people because I'm a people person. I didn't want to go live in a cave, you know? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of <laughs> changed over the years. So I did that for a while. And then um, now I do kind of a combination of that. And then some of the energy techniques that I've learned from access consciousness come into play. And that's more about looking at your being and the energy in your space and being able to kind of play and move and loosen things. So body scanning meditations are really popular. It's kind of like that and actually allowing the energy to move and change so that you don't stay stuck. What about Kundalini to do that? Kundalini, I've done a couple practices with. Uh, one of my yoga teachers that I work with right now, she's a Kundalini practitioner. Um, I haven't done a full-on practice. I've tried it before and it was a bit too repetitive for my body. Um, so that's the beautiful Tough. thing about these practices is like, try one out. And if it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Just go explore something different, you know? Yeah. 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 Kundalini is tough. It's, the cha it's very challenging. Mm -hmm you know, some of the poses I've done like 30 minutes, like I've, I've gone to a couple different ones. I've, I, I went to a men's camp retreat and it was just mind blowing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but now I do a lot of like regular yoga, like, you know, uh, vinyasa and hatha just at the gym. But I like ha- incorporating both because they're so different. They and I had no idea how, I didn't know that kundalini before was any different than the rest. You know, I just was so naive. And now exploring these, you really see the value in each practice at really paying attention and understanding your body. Like, so I try and tell everybody, like even, you know, a lot, I was a hockey player. I got a lot of masculine guy friends in the past and try and encourage them to really go to do yoga because, you know, you can do all these hard lifting and these hard sports, but like there's such a, there's a softer side you can develop too and be more in tune with your body. And it's amazing when you do that because it's like a perfect balance. Yeah. Well, it kind of speaks too. It's fascinating that you say that because so many of us are more varied than we like to believe or that we actually give ourselves the ability to really cultivate. Um, You know, and we see that in our daily lives, right? This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to do. Or this is the energy that I'm used to. I'm just going to push into that. Uh, For me, I really look at the layered and the richness and the textures of life. So having a variety of different experiences a variety of different gifts, you need a variety of different tools and practices that actually cultivate all of that. So I do fast yoga, I do yin yoga, I do meditation, I do energy work, I hike, I dance. I mean, I just took my first pole dancing class this weekend with my friend. (laughs) So it's just kind of exploring. It's actually getting out, getting connected. And again, nothing is wrong. It's just a matter of what makes you feel lighter, what makes you feel happy in your body, what makes you feel more present, anything that allows that for you, that's the path to take. And that's literally what I've done the last 20 odd years. That's led me to where I am now. It's the exploration and the experiment more so than finding the right answer, you know? Yeah. And, but do you think that, cause a lot of people, I know I resisted yoga for so long and now it's been the thing that I go, why didn't I do this? <laughs> Like it gives me this this feeling of like after a class, I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. You know, how important is it for people that have to actually go out of their comfort zone to do these different things though, right? Because it may seem uncomfortable, but of course it will be if it's new, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, well, how important is that? Uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, You know, one of the tools that I use a lot, a lot, a lot just for leading my life forward, this is another one from Access Consciousness, it's an energy trick. Um, Basically what is true for you or is a yes for you will make you feel lighter. It'll give you a sense of relaxation or it'll pop your interest kind of like, oh, that's intriguing, I wanna Uh. lean in. Um, Anything that feels heavy to you, like an elephant sitting on your chest or you feel contracted or tight um, or get that kind of gut sense, that's a no. That's something you don't want to choose. So when you're looking at trying something, if you, as soon as you think about doing it, what's the initial response? Do you actually get a light sensation? Do you get a pop of interest? If so, that's your intuitive sense. Follow it. If it starts to feel really heavy and contracted, that's a no for you. Mm. But also one thing I noticed with that, what you just said, Lance, is the uncomfortable thing. Uncomfortable doesn't mean heavy. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. That is may actually be a challenge point that may be you going past your comfort zone and spreading your wings a bit. Um, sometimes the uncomfortable places, if you're willing to take a step in that direction, mm. actually leads to greater. You know, yeah, my journey does. has not been comfortable whatsoever, but pushing my edge wow you know yeah yeah that's that that's what i mean it's that thing that you're almost that's you're scared of is the thing you need to do Mm-hmm. And sometimes that scared feeling, it's so funny. We're like, oh, I'm so nervous or I'm so yeah. scared. And it's actually not nervous or scared if you tap into the energy. There's like an excitement. There's it's an a excitement. lightness to it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who was talking about that? Sam Harris was, was talking about this on Tom Bilio's podcast. And he's like, anxiety a lot of times is just excitement. We, we, we mistake sometimes. Obviously, there's anxiety that, that is uncomfortable. But sometimes it's, it's just like, if you're going to do something, it's going to be exciting and you're going to feel that, right? It's, it's normal, but sometimes it can kind of get tied up in the same sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, like, and then if you actually start really picking apart the energies of the different layers that you have, like you'll have anxiety that is like, I'm nervous, but the nervous is like, it still feels light. You know yeah, what I mean? There's still yeah. this bubbly thing. That's, that means you're excited. That's a little different than having the anxiety that makes you feel all twisted inside and is super, super heavy and dense. Yeah. Uh, and one thing just to keep in mind, you are 
really, really, really in tune to other people. Most of us are, we don't live in a bubble. And the majority of the stuff that I went through when I was younger was me actually being super, super aware of other people. You can call it sensitive, psychic, intuitive, empathic, whatever. We all have different words for it. But a lot of our anxieties, even our depression sometimes, or our highs are catching waves of energy that are coming off other people or the environment. Mm. And so you may have this huge anxious mood, but who or what are you aware of? You know, it's like when you walk into a room and your energy shifts all of a sudden, that's your awareness. That's not you. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because how do you know? How can you, f- like, I guess, did you develop that? Is that why meditation is powerful? I mean, that's what I can think of is, you know, like so many people are walking around unconscious and it's not their fault. They just don't know. But how do, you know, when you start to realize that, like we start to talk about these things, you start to realize you become more aware of energy. But like, how do you know, what that thing is like how do you start to decipher because it could be so many factors it's hard you know yeah. what i mean and i the meditation helped the yoga helped anything that i did that gave me a sense of me and space kind of helped because then it, i was able to see like the mismatch of like how come i feel different all of a sudden oh uh, this person walked in the room so there's that there's also this really practical tool um called who does it belong to it's another one from access consciousness where truly everything that goes through your mind Everything that goes through your body, everything that pops up, if you actually ask the question, who does this belong to? Uh, Does it belong to me? And you feel a sense of lightness. You're like, okay, cool. This is mine. But a lot of times when you ask that question, you'll get a hit. It's actually not yours. And sometimes the energy will change dynamically all of a sudden. You're talking to somebody who's super nervous. You're on a first date and you're all jittery. And you're like, wow, who does this belong to? And then you kind of, oh, wait a second. That's actually not mine. That's this person. Or that's the couple sitting next to us who's all worked up. Mm -hmm. It's just this energetic awareness. But so many of us, we don't realize how connected we are. And we don't realize how aware we are. So we'll start to feel crazy and bounce around all over the place. It's just your awareness of other people. You have to develop your awareness of you. Yeah. And notice the mishmash. And when things come up, actually ask that question. Who does this belong to? It's going to give you a huge sense of space. I noticed that. I noticed that a lot when I was working in restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Like you could go in being feeling amazing and all of a sudden your life just gets sucked out of you and vice versa. You could go in and the the energy lifts you up. It's amazing. It's really, really amazing. I always felt I had that, that, ability that's why i had to be conscious about if i was in a bad mood because i could suck the life out of the the group but i could also lift the group up and i think a lot of people don't understand that they have that power and you need to be careful because nobody likes an energy sucker right (laughs) but there's some people that just can just go in and just i don't know and imagine if we could see energy, you know, if we could see like, oh, oh watch out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could see the wave coming. But you know what? If you could actually see energy, the way energy actually works without a judgment, what yeah. you would notice is that the energy wave would come at you. And if you didn't actually block or protect yourself, it would just move on through. Ah. And this is totally different because we're, t- and I, I learned this in yoga and meditation and it like, it caused so much angst for me for a while of like the bad energy. And I had to protect myself and, you know, walk away from the negative, all of this stuff. When you actually start looking at the truth of energy without the judgment attached to it, all of it is just energy. It's not good or bad. It just is. And it will always move. So if you could visualize it, you could see the wave of anger coming at you. But uh, if you didn't go, oh, don't come close to me and bundle up, you'd actually relax and let it go. You'd actually see it move on through. And you could go, wow, that was a wave that was super uncomfortable. Now it's gone. Wow. It, what sticks it in our space and really builds to the feeling of chronic anxiety and depression and getting all worked up is when we attach a story to it and we hold it. Mm. If you actually just kind of visualize it as a wave that's going to move through, life gets so much easier. What used to make me go up and down with my moves was that it would come in and I would stick a story to it and then I would like live it and act yeah. it out. Instead of, and you'll see this in my book, it's actually kind of like, it's scene by scene. You can see kind of how this works and how it may apply for you. Mm. Um, But this is what changed it, actually allowing it to come in and go, wow, who does that belong to? Okay, it's moving through, Mm. not mine. 
And then you can just kind of march forward with your day. Um, so it's interesting. Energy is actually very different than what we think it is. And when you start playing with it, you'll get a lot more freedom, you know? Yeah. So interesting. What is your, so what does your diet look like? Does that have a big factor in how it keeps you going and maybe, yeah, like maybe talk us through the importance of that. Does that have a big factor in your life or not so much or? I'd say probably not so much these days. I, I eat intuitively and okay. that is really, you know, you can do this with muscle testing. You know, chiropractors will talk about that all the time. Um, you know, you can hold your arm out and basically if it yeah. stays steady. Um, also, I do the light and heavy tool that I was talking about before. Uh, so I'll kind of look at a piece of food and if it feels light and my body kind of like leans in then I'm like, okay, cool. That's something that you want to ingest. If it pulls away, I'm like, no. Interesting. Um, so I practiced that when I first learned it, I would just open the fridge and the first thing my eyes would land on that my body would pull to, that's what I would eat. And it was fascinating because what that led to was actually a greater connection to my body. And when you're actually connected to your body that way, there's a sense of peace and there's a sense of space. Hmm. And when you're anxious, depressed, up and down, whatever, whatever, you don't have that. But a lot of times it's because we're fighting our body or we're trying to have power over our body. So being able to kind of like eat intuitively like that or follow diets if it's what popped. You know, I did the keto diet for about four months um, just recently. And it was just something someone, everyone kept talking about it around me. And I was like, there's something there. So I'm going to give it a whirl. I felt amazing. Felt yeah. It was a little tricky getting into it because it's a quite, it's quite a, quite a strict diet. Yeah. Um, but again, that was an intuitive thing that was like, oh, there's something here for me because it felt light and because it was interesting. Yeah. Um, so it changes all the time, but being in question and actually being present with your body, it, it will change your mental state and emotional yeah. state in a big way. Yeah. I, there's no doubt for me, diet has such a factor in my moods and how I feel. If I eat crap, I feel like crap. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, there's just, there's things and I've tried it all. I've, and, and there's certain things that I know are going to, the consequences, what are going to happen. And I sometimes still eat them. And then I go, well, why do I feel like this? And it's like, well, I knew better. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've found that to be, to be massive as well. Like, but some people, you know, it's, it doesn't affect them as much for me. Like if I had, I always knew that if I had too much, if I had sugar, I knew what was going to happen. I knew my mood was going to go out of whack. If I, there's certain things, and I don't know if a lot of people are even aware of what the food is doing to them either because they've also, never felt good before. Yeah, and also being aware too that different food interacts differently with different people's chemistry. So mm -hmm. where you may have a sugar response like that, my body loves sugar. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think sometimes it's like we try to take, it's the same thing with the mental health conversation. We try to take one thing that applies to a lot of people and apply it to us. Yeah. And we don't actually give the bandwidth for it to change in our own body or to kind of be like, well, that's something that works for them, but may not work for me. I agree. You know, I mean, when I overdo sugar or for me, it's kind of like really, really greasy food. My body doesn't like that. I mean, my stomach gets upset, that kind of thing. And sometimes it's like a stress response, right? It's like yeah, stress of eating. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so being able to kind of pull yourself back, but also just because something works for somebody else doesn't mean it's automatically going to work for you. You got to try it. I hundred percent agree. And yeah. I, I, I hate that dogmatic approach where it's either one way or the highway. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't believe that. I think that every human is different. I think that I would recommend that everybody tries everything, try it. How do you feel? If it doesn't work, don't do it anymore. If you eat, if you feel better from eating that way, do more of that. Mm -hmm. You know, there shouldn't be this, like, there's just such a, a craziness that's become like out of control with the diets and everything now. Well, you hit the word on the head there, man, the dogma, yeah. but it's yeah. like dogma everywhere. Yeah. Right? It's, it's crazy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. we're all different. We all see light through this different lens. We all were raised different. We all have different backgrounds from some are from Europe and you have like mixtures of different races and we're all different and unique. So you can't say one thing is good for everybody. You can say that there's certain things that aren't, ideal for humans to eat because of what happens to the majority. But, you know, I don't like when someone says you need to eat this because I eat this. And, you know, and I was like that too when I was, you know, I, I've been like that in the past. I'm like, oh, I feel, I feel good. Why aren't you eating like, why aren't you eating this? You know, and that's just not the right way. Mm -mm. You know, well, 
And that's where like the living intuitively really comes into play because it yeah. gives you the bandwidth to play, but it also gives you the bandwidth to change. And so many of us, we find one thing that works and then we're like, this is the thing that works. And yeah. then from here on out, we want to kind of like push that either at our body or everything else in our life. And there's seasons for everything, you know, yeah. we're constantly, we're changeable beings. So honestly being in the question and just kind of like daily really being present with that, that's what's really going to create more and also allow you to change the things that you don't necessarily want to keep the same. You know, yeah. we all have things in our life we'd like to change a bit. Uh, this is one way to actually do it with ease. Yeah. You talk about this access consciousness a lot. So mm -hmm. can we talk about this? Because I've heard it and I'm like, I had to write it down because I, I need to address what this is. So can we yeah. get into that a little bit? Access consciousness is amazing. It's weird and wacky and wonderful. Um, it is a practical system on how to deal with energy. And so many of us are aware of energy, especially this day and age. Like I said, when I was diagnosed back then, this was not a hot topic. Now at least it's out and about. Um, but it's all about non-judgment. And they have tools and practices that actually allow you to melt the judgment from the inside out. So being able to come out of good and bad, right and wrong, and just start to see things as a choice, you stop judging yourself, your past choices, and you kind of open up to more possibilities that way. Is this like a, so is this a website or is this like a, or is this just a, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. So you can go on accessconsciousness.com to find out more information. There's tons of stuff online. It's, it's in every country imaginable too. Okay. So cool. no matter where you're living anywhere, you're going to find a facilitator that's close to you. There's a lot of stuff online. Um, one amazing place to start is something I do weekly. It's called the access bars. Uh, it's an energetic technique. And it's basically like an energy discharge. Somebody touches different points on your heads. All those points correspond to different parts of your living, uh, body, sex, money, creativity, uh, aging, all that kind of stuff. And what it basically does, it runs energy through these bar points, all of your points of view, all of your stuck places, or all the things that like were never yours, but you bought them because society told you to it just melts and goes away. So your judgment goes mm. away. So then you just have more space to actually create change. Uh, for me, it's a very peaceful, my mind gets super quiet, my body gets very, very relaxed. And when I wake up, I just have a sense of me even deeper than my meditation practice, which to mm. me shocked me because there was nothing greater for me than meditation. And then I had my bars run and it actually made my meditations greater and deeper but it was a beautiful addition to everything else that I was doing. Mm. And there's a lot of studies that are getting done now about anxiety and depression and stress relief with it too. And it's showing remarkable results. Yeah. There it's, it's, it's so tough because in my own life, you know, there's, it's hard to get rid of that energy from the past, mm -hmm. the shame and like the, the just, and it's really just a matter of, if you can kind of switch it off and move, like, I don't know. I think about it and some days it's, it's more than others. Right. But sometimes it comes up and it's like, well, why do I even care? That's the past. Yeah. But, but that but energy just sits there and it's yeah. like, how do we get rid of that crap? But see, and that's the fascinating thing, right? Cause your mind knows, you know, this <clears throat> is past. It doesn't have to apply to now, but it's still there. It's still in your space and your body will still hold on to it too. Yeah. So for me, that was what I went through big time. The yoga, the meditation gave me the awareness that it was the past and the, and the presence was self, but I was still had the same thing. I still had the energy that was kind of hanging around. I could feel the residuals, so to speak. Uh, for me, the access bars and then the, the, just the really simple tools of light and heavy and who does it belong to that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, those really allowed me to discharge the energy and to actually get it out of my mind, out of my body and out of my space to actually have more of a sense of space. So all of these different practices, it's not one versus the other, they can all play beautifully together. Mm. Um, but for me, I really required that like discharge of it, yeah. that I, I can actually finally let this go, not just from a mind place, but also from a body, body place too. Because yeah, it's embedded in our cells too. It's like, yeah, it's... I'd like to talk more about your book. Do you just have the, the so other side of polar, right? Is there the other side of bipolar? Bipolar. Sorry, yeah, bipolar. Mm -hmm. well, talk, so is is that pretty much talking about your transformation, or let's get into that a little bit more? So it's a beautiful book. It basically um, 
it invites you to walk with me, I like to say. So whatever I'm going through, the book is written kind of in snippets. You'll see me feeling really good and all of a sudden from my internal world where things got loud and my awareness kicked in and I started picking up on stuff from other people. You'll see me kind of fall down the rabbit hole. It walks through my diagnosis, my turn through the traditional Western medical system and my way out. Uh, it walks through the holistic psychiatrist that we talked to with his tools and techniques, uh, yoga, meditation, diet, exercise, access consciousness. Um, it chronicles my journey, but it's told in a way where people can actually see themselves in the story. Mm and pick up the tidbits that perhaps they need to. For me, I'm a storyteller. I always learn really good from stories. I, I read it, I can see myself in it, and I can go, oh, I can apply that. Yeah. Uh, for me, it also, when I read stories like that, it doesn't feel confrontational, like you should do this. It was way more of an invitation. So when I wrote my book, that's how I wrote it, of inviting people along. And yeah. that's the response that I've gotten from folks of like, I've never been diagnosed. But when I read it, there was stuff in there. It's changed my relationship with my body. Right. I feel better about myself. There's more possibilities. So, um, and I always say you could always put, instead of the bipolar, the other side of blank, PTSD, anxiety, depression, being the black sheep, <laughs> anything yeah. you want in there. It's really about coming out of self-judgment and looking at your true potential and possibilities and how to claim it. Yeah. And those labels are dangerous too, as we talked about. People just hold on to those things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the bigger thing that I've been through, through my life arc, I would say, you know, we always, you can be labeled as the shy one or the perfect one or the one who always messes up. All of those are labels that stick you, even if it's not a medical diagnosis, but it's fascinating to watch yourself put on the role, the character, the costume of that yeah. thing. You know what I mean? So before you know it, if you're like the perfect one, all too one, well, all yeah. too well. You're like, but like even the good stuff, you're the perfect one. Before you know it, you're living under so much self-inflicted pressure to have to live up to that. Yeah. That you're judging yourself constantly, sometimes to the point of paralysis. Because if you choose it and you fail, oh goodness, you're yeah. done. Um, so it's fascinating the way that these work, but when you get that awareness of, look at me putting on my costume, that's yeah. actually not me and that's not required. Mm. Um, for me, it allowed me to come past bipolar Lauren and actually just be Lauren. And I went, wow, that's a beautiful thing to be. It's just yeah. space and ease. And it was a process in getting there, but it's possible for all of us, you know? Yeah, and, and what I've noticed as well is when you are transforming it becomes a little bit challenging because you're you're doing uh, you're doing new things and you're you're working on it, but you still have that pull to go back and be safe, right? Your subconscious wants you to be safe. You know, you your your body gets used to doing these things that kept you comfortable for so long, and trying to pull away and trying to when you're you know and it become it's challenging, and that's why I think people go back to their old habits or they go back to that ease that that thing that they're so used to of that box or that persona right and i i found that hard as well because it you as you change a lot of the people around you have to wa witness your change also so it makes them think differently and then that becomes that becomes a thing and then that position becomes like a weird like what's what's with this person but when you can get through that then you it kind of like acceptance and then people see you for that new person that you're becoming if that makes any sense like it it's makes, a, it makes perfect sense and you just said something brilliant there that i think a lot of people don't land on is the pull to safety actually yours or is it the people in your life who don't want you to change because yeah. that would challenge them to come out of their own safety box. And there are some people who just aren't willing or they don't want to. Yeah. Um, but it does come down to a choice point. You can live in your box and some people are very content that way. That's awesome if that works for you. There are other people who are going to want to spread their wings. And when your wings start to actually hit the edges of those boxes and you have to pull back, that may drive you nuts. That yeah. may create a lot of uncomfortableness to be able to go, I'm in a box. I don't want to be here. Um, to be able to actually jump out of the box, to create something new and to actually have the freedom to actually spread yourself. Um, that's going to motivate some people more than it is others, but don't fall prey to the people who want to stay in the box and want you to stay there. Yeah. 
you know, but that happens a lot. People will go, oh, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling claustrophobic. I want to spread my wings a bit. And as soon as they do, the people in their lives go, don't change too much. I'm going to miss you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that energy saturates you and you go, oh, I guess I have to go back to my box or they'll go, oh, that's not safe to be. Yeah. And then the safety pulls you back, you know? Well, and then you, you start to doubt, you doubt what you're doing because it's so different. I don't know. I think there's, there's just so many things when you're changing and, and, and with people that when you are on that journey, it's not easy Mm-mm. because you have to, if you want to be different, your actions have to align with that thing and they can't align with the old thing. And that's kind of how it all unfolds, but we get, it's so comfortable and you also have to watch who you're hanging around with also. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important is your circle? I mean, I know we hear that the cliche saying you're the same, you're the sum of the five people around you or whatever that, that is, which I believe, but like how important is that to you about the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Oh, it's huge. And yeah. my, as I've moved through my journey, my social circle has changed. Yeah. Um, and then what's beautiful is my family circle has even changed, but not in the way that you think when you actually start to change and you don't push people around you that you care about to change too, a lot of times they'll just notice you being different and they'll adapt to it. So when we had talked before about how did you change the narrative of like having the, the kinky threesome where like that, that diagnosis is like in it and that's how you're getting filtered through. That's really what occurred is once I started making changes and I didn't let myself get pulled back by anybody else's old definition of me, then they adapted. And then their vision of me, their filter of me changed. And so my dynamic with my, within my family, within my friends um, has changed dynamically, but it's from my choice. Yeah. From my choice of being it, you actually control the narrative here. And some of it may take time. And some people who aren't willing to actually adapt, perhaps they have to fall away. Yeah. That's okay. And who are you, who are you choosing to spend your, spend your space with? Because that will have an impact of the energy coming in. If you're going for bigger, surrounding yourself by other people who are too, or at least people who don't stand in your way, it's going to make it a lot easier. Do you you find that um, sometimes you're, I know I have in the past is I'm thinking that they're thinking things about me, but really they're not. They're actually happy. It's because... I don't know. I, I, I have this because of what I'm doing or I'm more out there on social media or whatever and what I'm doing, I'm pretty vulnerable now. I'm pretty much an open book. I've kind of, I, I, I always, not always, but sometimes I'll have that. What are they thinking? And I'll, I'll think that they're thinking these things, but really they're not. How does somebody stop that from have, projecting your insecurities to think that other people are thinking those things? Does that make yeah. any sense? Like it how makes- does it makes total sense. And a lot of people will do this where all of a sudden you start picking up on things. And you're like, Oh, I think they hate me. And yeah. they don't, they don't have a point of view about you at all. But are you perhaps so aware that you're aware of them judging themselves in comparison to you? Oh, now that's a head tripper. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. <laughs> and a twisty thing. But I you just can got see, goosebumps. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing that's fascinating. Oh, wow. This is how awareness works. And it's so multi-layered and it's so convoluted sometimes where somebody will be looking at you and they actually admire you or they don't really have a judgment of you, but they have a judgment of themselves in comparison to oh, you or comparison to others. Wow. You're so aware that you pick up on that, but guess what happens when you don't see the wave of energy coming and go, who does it belong to? Move it on through. You stick a story to it. You personalize yeah. it. All of a sudden it becomes yours and it has to, has to deal with you somehow. And yeah. um, Two things with that, it's which is fascinating. The majority of what you're aware of isn't relevant and it doesn't belong to you. It's just noise out in the world. The majority of what you're aware of, all the stuff you're picking up on, not really anything to do with, okay, noise moving on. So that becomes easier. Uh, one thing my, um, my holistic psychiatrist actually said to help me out of my paranoia back in the day. <laughs> I had the same thing where I was like, I think everybody hates me and I think they're talking about me all the time because I was aware of their own inner judgments. He said, Lauren, do you think you're being a little maybe self-involved to think that everybody is talking about you all the time and thinking about you? And it just had this aha of like, Uh. 
oh, here I am thinking all this noise somehow has to do with me just because it's again in my space. Yeah. And whenever I have that now where I feel like tons of people are talking about me or whatever, that in of itself goes, people are more self-involved and yeah. more focused on themselves than anything else. So most likely they're not. Yeah. And now adding this piece in about maybe you're aware of their own inner judgments against themselves. And because yeah. you're aware, you're picking it up and making it about you. So those two, two ahas will hopefully change, you know? But it's funny because I'll, if I'm feeling really good and confident on my game, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see the same people and I'll just feel like confident and I'll, I'll just totally, I won't have that feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I'll be like, they don't think like I'll be so confident. I'll feel it just flowing. Everything's great. But then if I'm not feeling that great, if I'm a little bit like, you know, I'm a little bit less, I don't feel like talking today. I feel a little bit off, maybe too many coffees or I don't know, whatever it is. You know, we all have those things, the ups and downs. And then I go in and then I start to think because I'm not feeling that great that they're thinking this stuff too. It's like, and it just makes no sense, but I'm projecting my, because I'm not feeling that great. I, it's almost a selfish thing to think, well, why would somebody else be thinking like that? But it, it, I think people, people, that's what happens is if you're feeling shitty all the time, you're going to, you're going to project that thinking others are going to feel shitty and judge you as well. You know? Yep. And before you know, it's, it's all you see and it's all you're aware of, but yeah. you create your own reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. in science tells us that you create your own reality. What you see actually is. Yeah. So changing your perspective on it will make a big difference and stop making other people's judgments relevant. And I know that's a tall order in the society we live in. It's like social media. How many people liked my post? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, it's really easy to put eyes out and to constantly be looking for that external stimuli to go, no, I'm on the right track. Being able to actually change that viewpoint and go, you know, I'm making other people more relevant right now than me stop it mm. and actually start shifting it. Um, and also asking the question sometimes too, who are you being? Like when you're feeling bad, when you're feeling not yourself, you know, are you kind yeah. of stepping out of who you truly are? Usually when you're feeling spacious and easy and there's not a big push to perform, it's just like, Hey, how are you? That's usually when you're just being yourself. Yeah. That's like that authentic space that so many of us are seeking. Yeah. But we think that sometimes weirdness of being authentic means that we're, people love us and we're getting all this stuff. Like we kind of put that positive spin and we put this charged space behind it. Mm -hmm. It's actually not. The authenticity shows up when you're spacious and relaxed, not in judgment and not having to prove anything. Mm. Different, you know? Love it. Yeah. I love this conversation. I've had a lot of fun with this. Um, where where's the best place for us to check you out sorry where's uh, the best place to find you laurenpolly.com all of my yeah. stuff's up there uh, my book is on amazon barnes and noble target local bookstores you can find it everywhere and then my podcast is called the lighten up podcast with lauren polly and that's just it's a 14 minute pop of inspiration and aha Cool. Uh, every week. So it's usually me, me just kind of chit chatting, chit chatting with people. So, yeah. Oh, we never even get a chance to talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. um, I will definitely, I'm definitely going to check it out. I haven't checked it out yet, yeah. but and it's different. I used to do a podcast that was like interview style, kind of like what you do. And I just got something different required. I don't have guests. It's just me talking and I just got the energy of like pillow talk, you know, if you cool. can kind of cuddle up with a close friend or a lover and kind of share deeply and just pop open space. So that's what it is every week. Yeah. Awesome. That's very cool. Well, I love what you're doing. Um, again, great conversation. Thanks for coming and hanging out because this was awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for playing with me. It makes yeah. it easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like this stuff, this is, this is what it's all about. It's so important. Now just to end off, um, as a question, the one staple question, out of all the ups and downs, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? That if you don't allow it to define you, there's always more possible. And so many of us take that adversity story and like hold it like a mantle of honor. I'm a survivor of yes. this. You know, and you see that a lot. I mean, in all walks of life, um, I don't really want to be a survivor. I'd like to be somebody who's thriving and out creating myself constantly. 
And for me, that's what adversity has taught me of going past that survival, wearing that mantle and kind of proudly marching forward with that of I can actually let it go. I can relax away from it and actually see myself beyond, beyond any of the past upsets, trauma, whatever, you know, today's a brand new day. Love it. That was great. It's like, it's like you had that one ready or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's how awareness works. It yeah. just pops out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, all right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that was awesome. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have everything in the show notes for everybody to come check you out and uh, find your book and everything. So thank you so much. Lauren Polly, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Show Lauren some support. Go check her out. Follow her on social media. Send her a message. Tell her, tell her you heard the show. You heard her on University of Adversity. Spread the love. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll catch you next time.